This season of Huddled Masses wouldn't be possible without our sponsors. Let me tell you about one of the most useful apps on my phone. It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. But there's this incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is pretty unique. It works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser, taking key information from thousands of nonfiction books and condensing them into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Blinkist is essentially made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly. So you can start using that information right away. I added two books to my library this week, The Mystery of the Exploding Teeth. It's a short 12-minute read, or if you're attempting to multitask, which I was, you can click play and someone will read it to you. I also dived into The Notorious RBG about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which is a 16-minute read. And right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. So go to Blinkist.com slash masses, as in huddled masses, try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash masses to start your seven-day trial. And you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash masses. Hello, I'm Alex Hannaford, and this is Battleground. Hello, I'm producer Pete. Alex, tell the listeners what we've got for them today. Today we're searching for the soul of the Republican Party. Is there one, Alex? (laughs) You'll find out, Pete. One group accusing the president of a number of policy and personal failures. The president has abandoned the party's founding principles. Its sole objective, to defeat President Donald Trump in November. You know, there seems to be two camps. Uh, There are those current conservatives, current Republicans who do not like Trump, you know, don't like his rhetoric, don't like, you know, much about him at all, and are hoping to sort of save the GOP from Trump if he loses in November, establish a kind of more moderate GOP again. And then there are those who uh, have left the Republican Party who are fighting actively to uh, elect Joe Biden in November. And there's one organisation in particular, isn't there, that are fighting from outside the party. Tell us a little bit about them. Yeah, the Lincoln Project. The Lincoln Project. Lincoln Project. The Lincoln Project. You'll be aware, probably, they've made some fantastic uh, ads. The anti-Trump ads will run on TV and online. If we have another four years like this, will there even be an America? The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. This was started by a Republican political consultant called John Weaver. And so he's sort of assembled this team of veteran Republican operatives, well-connected Republicans with national political experience, former or current consultants that can raise and spend unlimited amounts of money, who are very adept at using advertising and marketing and messaging to do what they need to do. In this case, it's get Biden elected. 
And you're going to be speaking to one of those brilliant strategists today, aren't you? Why don't you tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, Stuart Stevens. Stuart Stevens is a longtime Republican political consultant. He is an advisor to the Lincoln Project. Who worked as a strategist for five Republican presidential campaigns, including... George W. Bush and most recently Mitt Romney in 2012. So it really, you know, he was a Republican strategist, a top Republican strategist, really a handful of years ago. Um, Politico calls him one of the most... Successful political operatives of his generation. Stewart's just come out with a book called It Was All a Lie, How the Republican Party Became Donald Trump. So he is actively trying to get Biden elected over Trump in 2020. All right, great. And tell us some of the things that are going to be coming up in his interview. So I spoke to Stuart from his home in Vermont, and he talks about obviously why he switched sides. What what was it about Trump that kind of drove him to uh, basically leave the Republican Party? Um, but he talks also about the Republican Party's lurch to the right on sort of social issues and stuff, and and how this has been a long time coming. This is not Trump. He explains in one part that the Republican Party actually held a mirror up to itself, and Trump was reflected back. And you know what the Lincoln Project aims to do about these things. Thanks for doing this, Stuart. Let's go straight in at the deep end. You wrote that Trump isn't an aberration of the Republican Party. He is the Republican Party in a purified form. Can you explain what you meant? Well, there are elements in the Republican Party that have been building that have culminated in Trump. Um, This idea that somehow Trump hijacked the party, I think, is completely uh, unsustainable. You can draw a direct line, I think, from the part of the party that supported McCarthy in the 50s that supports Donald Trump now. Well, a rally in North Carolina on Monday, President Trump joked about potentially getting a third term in office. Tomorrow you're going to see headlines, Trump wants an extra term, I told you, I told you. He wants an extra We told you he's a dictator, we told you. It's uh, just a culmination of the party becoming predominantly white and increasingly white. You know, it used to be that the party accepted that as a failure and tried to change, but now it's just sort of settled into a white grievance comfortably. So is there two parties then? I mean, is the GOP as we know it finished if Trump loses? And if that's the case, is there another third party that's going to emerge? I I don't think there'll be a third party. I I think Trumpism is very embedded in the party, and I think it's going to stay for a long time. Today, four Republicans broke with the president and voted to condemn Donald Trump's most recent racist comments. But that's four more Republicans than usually break with the president. Eventually, it'll have to be, it'll change just because the country's changing so much. But I don't think it's it's going to go anywhere fast. I mean, look at the people who are thinking about running in 2024 if Trump wins or loses. And, you know, they're all people who have accepted Trump. Nikki Haley, who's one of the, you know, great disappointments, sort of ridiculous figures like Josh Hawley of Missouri, who went to Stanford and Yale Law School and taught at St. George's in London, who's running against the elites. It's the most ridiculous thing imaginable. I'm interested to know, you've said that the Republican Party is afraid of Donald Trump, but that the party's leaders fell in behind him because it had always been about power. So the question is, if Trump loses in November, what happens to those prominent Republicans who visibly pinned their colours to his mast? I, I think they'll just continue to support Trump. I mean, Trump's not going away if he loses. 
he'll he'll still be trying to be a dominant player in the party. What's he going to do? Will it be Trump TV? I don't know. Whatever he does. I think probably one of his odious children will run. Um, you do? I guess. So let's take a look at this poll, which was, um, which was published by Axios. So which, if any, of the following Republicans would you consider voting for in the 2024 general presidential election? In the top four, you have not only Donald Trump Jr. at 29%, but Ivanka Trump at 16%. They won't go away. They don't have anything to do. You know, he doesn't have a life, doesn't have any friends. Look, I mean, in 1964, the party went from 40% African-Americans that supported Eisenhower to 7%, and it, it, it never came back. I think it's the same thing with Trump. I don't think you can undo this stuff. You can't unsay it. So did you, did you swap sides? Are you now a Democrat or are you a conservative? I would support Democrats. I mean, I have a lot of friends that say I've been a Republican for X years. I'm not going to let Trump force me out. And I understand that. I just don't. I'm just not there. What was the final straw for you? Oh, you know, when Trump came out in December of 2015, it was for a Muslim ban, and the part, which is unconstitutional, and the party just kind of didn't really do anything. I think that was a really ominous sign. We have a dysfunctional immigration system, which does not permit us to know who we let into our country, and it does not permit us to protect our citizens properly. I mean, if the party's going to stand for anything, it has to stand for sort of constitutionality and... And, you know, you still can't talk. I, I've never talked to a Republican elected official who would say Trump is qualified to be president. Mm. But this is all behind the scenes, right? They're not going to they they say, say this in public. No, <laughs> no. Is that because their political life is more important? They haven't got a job to do, so this is it? They, they have I think to they're just, get elected? I think they're just cowards. I really don't think it's complicated. I mean, I think we try to overanalyze it. I think it's just cowardness. Plain, simple. What do you say to them? What do you say to them in private? I really don't talk to them anymore. I mean, most of them, I don't even recognize who they are anymore. Hmm. You know, they're not bad people. I mean, they'd be like good neighbors and they're just weak. And you get a bunch of weak people together, they reinforce their weakness. Cowardness is sort of contagious. You know, it's always hard when you're in the middle of something, but I don't think we've really seen anything like this collapse of a party in American political history. That is what we're watching. We're witnessing yeah. it in real time. Yeah, mm. I think so. A complete collapse. I mean, we went from opposing being strong on Russia to now the Russians support Trump and we seem to be okay with it. It's insane. Trump attacked uh, NFL players protesting police brutality by taking a knee. He called it a total disrespect of our heritage. To me, that was a very important moment. I don't think you can disrespect our country, our flag, our national anthem. Is Trump racist? Of course he's racist. Uh, and look, how did that work out? I mean, that was, he started this little jihad of his. And so who, who won that cultural war? Um, now we have entire baseball teams that are refusing to play. Teams in the NBA, WNBA, and Major League Baseball have made the decision to boycott tonight's games in response to the shooting of Jacob Blake Jr. in Wisconsin. Trump just, I mean, it was like Stalingrad. The guy just got routed. It just shows how out of touch he is, I think, with America. His whole view of America, I think, is very much out of touch. This idea that these, he talks about suburban housewives I mean, I know a lot of women who live in the suburbs, they don't think of themselves as suburban housewives. I mean, most of them have three jobs. 
And none of them want to seem like the bigoted person who wouldn't want someone to move in next door. I, I think it's just a complete failure of imagination of Trump to understand what the party's become. He addresses the tweet to suburban housewives, don't know who uses that expression, talks about low-income housing and how people are going to invade the suburbs. You say in your book um, that you believe, this was an interesting point, and it was only a small sentence, but it, it, I flagged it up. You believe a share of the electorate voted for Trump, not really believing he would win. Yeah. Why on earth would anybody do that? A protest vote. Um, okay. I mean, if you look at elections that, like France... You know, that classic thing that people vote their, their heart in the first election and their wallet in the second election. I think that there was a sense to kind of try to send a signal to the system, shake it up. Something about having another Clinton in the White House, uh, but they didn't really want Trump. Now, that's a hard thing to prove, which is probably why I only wrote a couple of sentences about it. You know, people are phenomenally unreliable when you ask them why they voted for something after the fact. Because usually most of us are kind of a combination of confusing different reasons. And it's hard to remember in retrospect what was the dominant reason. Particularly, probably most of those people are embarrassed that they voted for Trump now. But I think the inability to imagine Trump winning has benefited him consistently. I mean, in the Republican primary, all these Republican candidates ran against each other beating each other up just so they could get one-on-one -on -one with Trump because the party wasn't going to nominate Trump. I think particularly after the Access Hollywood tape came out, like our first week of October, that a lot of people just assumed Trump was dead. I think that benefited, in the end, Trump. If that demographic don't vote for him this time, that you know they, they voted for him as a protest, didn't really think he would win, he won. If they don't vote for him this time, and this is kind of speculation, obviously, but do you think that he could lose based on that number that we don't know? Yeah, sure. That voted for well, him protest. Trump won with 46.1%. So, uh, you know, Romney lost with 47.2%. For all this industry of why Trump won, in one way he won for one simple reason. He ran in which he, a year in which a Republican could win with 46.1%. So why was that? So third party doubled from 2012. So that's not going to happen this time. And non-white turnout declined for the first time in 20 years. I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I think if you had an election Tuesday, you'd have record non-white turnout. I mean, the odds are Trump will lose and lose badly. Democrats have also waged an unrelenting assault against people of faith. Anybody in here a person of faith? 81% of evangelical Christians supported Trump yep. in 2016. That was it's a staggering percentage because it was higher, I was surprised to read this, higher than, than those that voted for George W. Bush, who was a born-again Christian. You make this point. But let me, let me correct it. That's 81% that's of white evangelicals. Right, right. And I think the denominator there that is operative is race, not the religious orientation. That's interesting. That's interesting, um, yeah. Because a higher percentage of non-white evangelicals voted against Trump. So if we say, so 81% so of white evangelical Christians, but, but what, what struck me, I mean, they're still Christians, right? I know you were saying that that's more important, but, but considering they, they call themselves Christian, the Access Hollywood tapes did nothing. I moved on her, actually. You know, she was down in Palm Beach. I moved on her and I failed. I'll admit it. Whoa. I, I did try and she was married. The sexual assault allegations did nothing. The vulgarity, the profanity. Yes. Were you surprised? Uh, 
disappointed but not surprised. I, I, <laughs> I think that the, the, the dominating factor there is white. There's always been in the evangelical movement these kind of larger-than-life, obviously fraudulent figures, like Jimmy Schweikert. And Trump sort of resembles those in a lot of ways. He, he looks like these kind of painted figures, you know. Now, there's something like 37 million evangelicals in the country, so it's hard to, you know, really generalize about them. But I think really it, it was about race. Has he lost any of their support or is the same number going to vote for him this time around? It's hard to say. That's a really interesting question, a, a, a really interesting question. And it's hard to really get data on this because people aren't doing large enough polls to get a large sample just of evangelicals. Mm. And it's so much you know, increasingly hard to poll now because it's hard to reach people. Will that make a difference, though? I mean, even if they if they still voted him in, voted for him in the same numbers, bearing in mind we've talked about other demographics right. of the, the protest votes, et cetera, do, will it even make a difference? To him winning or losing yeah everything can make a difference i mean it depends on you know is this going to be a year like 2000 where you're going to have a bunch of really close states we just don't know just moments ago i spoke with george w bush and congratulated him on becoming the 43rd president of the united states and i promised him that i wouldn't call him back this time i mean trump could lose like goldwater but it could be 2000 we don't know trump isn't going to get a higher percentage of non-white folks than he got before. I think he'll get less percentage of non-white vote than he got before. So his percentage of white vote becomes critical. Every vote, I mean, really, in the Lincoln Project, our goal really was to take four or 5% of Republicans away from him. And I think that's working. I think he's losing that. I mean, usually in campaigns, the last to join a candidate are the first to leave. It kind of makes sense, like you have all this reluctance, and in the end you support somebody, but it still means you're reluctant. So probably you'll be the first to leave that person if you're disappointed for one reason or another. So college-educated Republicans have always been Trump's weakness, mm. particularly college-educated women. Mm. So he can't afford to lose any of these. So if you look at, say, these what we call collar counties around Philadelphia, these classic suburban counties, right, to win, Trump needs to get close to 60%, and he's not. He's getting, in some cases, he's losing them now. This idea of the kind of anger that Trump embodies, they've been living in these Philadelphia suburbs for years. They're not afraid of like black people coming from Philadelphia. You know, None of these people like to think of themselves as bigoted. I, I, I think it's just a huge, I mean, look at the Confederate flag issue, right? The governor of Mississippi says he will sign a bill to change the state flag. If so my home state of Mississippi takes down the flag, state flag, which is basically the Confederate battle flag. But Trump still gets in a fight with NASCAR because NASCAR wants to take down the Confederate flag. So he's on the wrong side of a cultural war with NASCAR. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's... You talked about the, the 5%, 4% or 5% that Lincoln Project wants to take away from Trump. Let's argue that they're conservatives, that they identify as conservatives, they just really don't like Trump and they're kind of buying into your message. Is the Lincoln Project just an attempt to preserve some element of the GOP after Trump has destroyed it? You know, I, I think everybody involved in the Lincoln Project sort of has different views on that. I mean, we would collectively agree that we need to get rid of Trumpism. And what is Trumpism? It's a sort of illiberal, anti-science, bigoted movement within the Republican Party. 
So I don't think this is going to go away if Trump loses. I know it's not going to go away. I think Trump's very embedded in the party. Hopefully, eventually it will. But it's not something that you can just flip a switch. And- so it's conceivable that, that some, if not all, sort of Lincoln Project people could back a moderate conservative over Biden in four years' time. I don't know. You know, the Lincoln Project's become a really wide coalition of people. I mean, it's supported by a lot of liberal Democrats who I think would never, and it's supported by conservatives. So it's, a, mm. it's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon because it's really drawn a wide spectrum of people. And the unifying point is to get rid of Trump and Trumpism. Mm. So um, it's difficult to predict its impact on partisan politics in the future, except to the degree that Republicans continue to embrace Trumpism. It, it will fight that. But Trumpism is really just sort of reflective of a larger anti-democratic, illiberal movement across lots of countries. I mean, Trumpism is is not that different than what's happening in Hungary. It's not that different than Le Pen. And I think it's that white nationalism. I mean, now the neo-Nazi groups in Germany chant Trump. So, you know, their Fuhrer is now in America. She and the fellow populist far-right leaders she joined at the weekend take inspiration from Donald Trump, and she has sent him her congratulations. Psycho who started the Proud Boys, Gavin mm. McGinnis, you know, you know he's, he's British. It's, it's more than just a U.S. movement. The problem is, I mean, you know, the U.S. Has been, has been the leader of the free world, and it's not now. Germany is. And thank God Germany's there. Thank God Merkel's there. But it's ultimately destabilizing and dangerous for America not to have that role. A quick word about one of our sponsors. Green Chef is a USDA certified organic company that makes eating well, easy and affordable with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle, which includes vegan, vegetarian, paleo and keto. I chose the balanced living menus, which include a variety of organic ingredients. It saves on having to pull together dinner on those busy weeknights and has delicious items like miso chicken rice bowls and trout with parmesan risotto. Everything's hand-picked and delivered right to your door. Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh, meaning it offers a wider array of meal plans to choose from. Clean ingredients you can trust, seasonably sourced for peak freshness. Go to greenchef.com forward slash masses 80 as in huddled masses m-a-s-s-e-s 80 and use code masses 80 to get 80 dollars off across four boxes including free shipping on your first box that's greenchef.com forward slash masses 80 to get 80 dollars off across four boxes including free shipping on your first order I've got to ask you this. I'm sure you've been asked it before, but uh, just back on the Lincoln Project thing, that some would argue that while Trump's rhetoric is terrible, in terms of actual policy, he hasn't done that much harm. And yet George W. Bush took us to war in Iraq and Afghanistan, emboldening terrorist groups like al-Qaeda and ISIS. Right. American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq. What's your take on that? One of the sort of core beliefs of American conservatism was that culture is more important than any one issue. That culture is the soul of the nation. If you go back and look at this beautiful stuff that William Bennett wrote, for instance, about Bill Clinton, turns out he didn't believe it because he doesn't, but they're still beautiful sentences. Some of us actually believe that stuff. I mean, when Bush ran and ran on restoring honor and dignity to the White House, you know, we argued that that was more important than a tax cut or this or that, that There's some greater sense of decency 
that must be embodied by the soul of the nation that Trump completely violates. I mean, what Clinton did is nothing compared to Trump. If you think about what would have happened if Trump had been president on 9-11, he would have been rounding up Muslims right and left. What did Bush do? Well, you know, he made a concerted effort that people didn't blame American Muslims, didn't blame Muslims. Um, so does it matter? Yeah, I think it matters. I don't think that that means that Iraq wasn't a horrible mistake. I mean, I, I think that decency matters. I mean, you didn't see George Bush questioning whether or not he would lose, he'd leave office if he lost to John Kerry. Trump is a threat to democracy itself. He's attacked every pillar of democracy, the justice system, educational system, voting. That's all much more important and damaging than a conservative or liberal Supreme Court justice. It just transcends that. I mean, we've always had these hate movements in America. KKK, it's a huge fascist element in America in the 30s. Uh, why didn't we become fascist in the 30s? Well, probably because Roosevelt was president and not, say, a Lindbergh. Why was the civil rights movement largely nonviolent? Probably because of Martin Luther King. You know, if Stokely Carmichael had been, it would have been probably more violent. I mean, maybe what we're seeing is what we kind of were taught in our civics classes that leaders matter. And we're mm -hmm. sort of living through that. If Mitt Romney had been elected president, the Republican Party would be in a different direction. But it would probably be a lot of the same people. I mean, that's the danger of Trump. You know, he, he appeals to the worst within us all and validates that. So these people were always there. He just emboldened them. I think that everybody has good and bad within them, you know. Mm. It's when you say that, that the worst within us is the best within us, mm. I think it becomes very dangerous. Those are what happens with mobs. It's sort of validating the worst. I mean, look, if we had a bank robber president, probably robbing banks would become more socially acceptable. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just sort of how society works. Mm. Um, it's why Trump is so toxic. If you look at sort of historical precedents, when a major political party endorses and accepts hate, it's very difficult to undo that. It's often bloody. Hopefully here it won't be bloody, but I think it's going to be very difficult to undo. This could get worse than we can imagine. In what way? I use examples. So it's November 1st and Trump is losing. He calls up this guy, Chad Wolf at Department of Homeland Security and tells him to go send whoever these guys are in camouflage with automatic weapons who seem to work for the Department of Homeland Security. Nobody really knows who the fuck they are to go into the Dade County, Florida courthouse and seize the boxes. Who's going to stop them? The Dade County security guard? I don't think so. So then they get the boxes. Mm. So then the courts go crazy. They order them back within hours, probably within the hour. But say some of these have been opened. Then you have a whole chain of custody issue. What are you going to do? Revote? How do you have an election in Florida without Dade County? And Trump's goal is to delegitimize any race that he might lose which has been you know, a goal of the Soviet Union that Putin has continued I mean, since Stalin. So there's a lot of scenarios out there. And, and the Republican Party, I think, will go along with most of them. Certainly Barr will. You, um, you dedicated your book to the deep state patriots defending America. Who are you talking about? 
Well, everybody who, you know, look at, look at the people who have come forward, who work for the, uh, Trump and have come forward to tell the truth about Trump. The president compared White House officials who allegedly talked to the whistleblower to spies. And then he said something else that reportedly shocked some in the room about what used to happen to spies. I think it's those in the Justice Department that are still trying to do their job. It's those in the CIA that are still trying to do their jobs. Um, and the FBI. I mean, the Trump has attacked the FBI. I mean, he's attacked it more than like the Black Panthers did. President Trump is lashing out at the FBI as the Russia investigation moves closer to the White House. The president used Twitter to attack the bureau's credibility. He said this weekend that the FBI's reputation is the worst in history. Trump is the most anti-law enforcement president in our history, really. His idea of law enforcement is laws that I like, and I'll enforce those. Trump is a classic immigrant who never assimilated. He never absorbed American values, like Rupert Murdoch. I mean, Trump and Murdoch are probably the two most dangerous immigrants in the history of America. When you say he's an immigrant, he, Trump was born in the U.S., though. Yes, but his family immigrated. Right, right. I mean, his mother was, you know, an immigrant. Right. Two of his three wives are. It's like, you know, when he talks about, it's absurd. Here's this guy that, like, is defending the Civil War, really. I mean, I'm like a seventh-generation mm. Mississippian. I mean, yeah. my family fought in the Civil The Trump family was in Germany. It's not his heritage. It's absurd. Yeah. We talk about it. We talk about it emboldening the worst in people. Um, before I ask the next question, I wanted to just explain to anyone who has never heard of this sort of faction before. QAnon is this far right conspiracy theory with no basis whatsoever. In fact, that alleges that a group of Satan worshippers running a global child sex trafficking ring are pl plotting against Trump. I mean, it sounds ludicrous when I read it, but this is very real. They're very real people. The media obviously amplifies these conspiracy nuts, but how? my question to you is how big a movement is this and should we be worried? Well, we should be worried. They're getting elected now in the Republican Party. I mean, the history of dangerous movements usually starts out with movements that aren't taken seriously. So sure, I think we should take it seriously. Well, I don't know much about the movement other than I understand they like me very much, uh, which I appreciate. I have heard that it is gaining in popularity. These are people that don't like seeing what's going on in places like Portland and places like Chicago. I've heard these are people that love our country and they just don't like seeing it. It's part of a larger thread. It's just an exaggerated example, but there's an anti-intellectual, anti-science, anti-truth effort in the Republican mm. Party, which the logical conclusion of that or outcome of that is you know, 200,000 people dying of COVID. So it's not that different from that, really part of that. Once you believe that there are no facts and there is no truth, then you're just debating what fantasy you want to live in. <laughs> so that's a fantasy. And, you know, part of the sort of defense of civil society is to believe in truth. And mm. Trump is an anti-truth president. And the mm. Republican Party has become an anti-truth party. And... Part of that is this sort of fear of higher education. Republican Party's taking the position now that higher education is basically conversion therapy to socialism. Hmm. It's insane. According to this new poll, a majority of Republicans, 58%, now believe that colleges and universities have a negative effect on the country. Only 36% see them as positive. That's pretty sad. Should be a patriotic education, Stuart. Yes, yes. So that's why it's so patriotic <laughs> that we don't want to acknowledge that elections are free and fair. 
Right. The history of those movements is not glorious. I mean, it's the Red Guard. It's mm. uh, the Khmer Rouge. Mm. I mean, w- once you start saying that the educated are the enemy, eventually mm. the educated win. They're smarter. They're on the right side of history. So non-educated white voters in America, or non-educated whites, are the fastest declining large demographic in America. Mm. They used to be 60% of the electorate, say, in 1980 when Reagan won. Now it's headed to 40%. That's a perfect segue into my next question, which is why would any moderate conservatives stay in the Republican Party after the way they've carried on in the last... Well, there's an argument that you you want to fight for it. Mm. And I respect that. You know, my friend Michael Steele, who was chairman of the Republican Party, first African-American chairman in modern history, Michael's attitude is, look, I've been in this party 40 years. I'm African-American. It wasn't the easiest thing to always be a Republican. I'm not going to let this lunatic Donald Trump force me out of my party. I really respect that. I admire Is he the future of the Republican? In your opinion, is Michael Steele the future of the GOP? Unfortunately, not in a million years. No. You said there wouldn't be a, a third party, though. You, no. you were quite. I think there really are three parties. I think there's two parties inside the Democratic Party. Mm. You know, kind of a Sanders AOC wing and then more of a Biden wing. Mm-hmm. And I think most of the big questions facing America policy wise would be decided by the battle inside that party. I mean, if you take national health insurance, are we really going to be the only country in 10, 20 years that won't have national health insurance, only Western democracy? Mm. Mm. It's hard to imagine. But what that's going to be will be decided inside the Democratic Party. If Trump wins again... Which he could. What will you do? You know, continue to fight Trumpism. I don't know what else you've to still do. Got, you've still got a lot of fight in you. Well, look, I don't know what else you can do. I mean, sometimes when the world goes crazy, all you can do is not go crazy with it. Mm. When you make these little compromises, so you say, okay, Trump in December 15 comes out for a Muslim ban. You kind of ignore that. And you, you know, this, you ignore this, you ignore this. You know, you end up with Donald Trump now saying that he won't recognize elections. It's just a continuum. What's so ironic is, this is what conservatives have always said, that you you can't have situational ethics, that there have to be certain values that are sort of immutable and unnegotiable in a society. Mm. Republicans have completely thrown that aside. America is so, is my final question, actually, but America is so divided um, yes. What will it take to resolve these differences? Generational change. Mm. I mean, look, uh, of Americans 15 years and under, the majority are non-white. They're not going to be Trump people. Not in a million years. Young voters under 25 are taking to the streets and to social media to oppose President Trump. But will Generation Z's political energy translate into votes for former Vice President Joe Biden? So look at look at how other issues have been resolved. I mean, look, in 2008, every candidate, Democrat and Republican, was against same-sex marriage. We don't even talk about it now. I mean, it's like, mm. you know. Um, non-issue. Non-issue. The, the same that's happened with the exception of Trump, say, you know, with the whole Confederate flag issue. I mean, now NASCAR's against it, you know. I think social change like that is sort of like Hemingway says about going bankrupt. It's you do it slowly and then you do it all at once. Very little under 35 supporters of Trump are very small. And there are almost none that are, you know, non-white. It'll die out. 
I mean, we're not going to be, I think there's a lot of parallels with Tatney now in America and Germany in the 30s, but we're not going to end up like Germany. It's just how long it'll take. That's harder to predict. How it ends mm. is a lot easier to predict. But Trump could win. In the Lincoln Project, all we know how to do is fight. Mm. And, you know, we have these weird skills we've developed by working in campaigns. Probably any sort of sane society wouldn't create people like us. Um, <laughs> but we know how to do this stuff. We're not bad at it. So all we're trying to do is use what we know how to do to beat Trump. Stuart, that was fascinating. Thank you no, thank, so much. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, no, thank you. Take care. Thanks ever so much. Okay, guys. Didn't he have a nice accent, I thought, Al? Oh, he had a really nice accent, actually, Pete. Sort of a southern drawl. Seventh generation Mississippian, I think he said. Yeah, I think he did say that. Yeah. You were listening. You were listening to the in- the interview, weren't you? Do people still tell you in the States you've got a lovely accent, you know, when you're in the supermarket? Yeah, I've been here 16 years now, so I just, I've never lost it, Pete, you know. Um, just managed to sort of hone my Englishness um, to the point where I don't think it's ever going to go. It opens too many doors, Pete. <laughs> What do you think your, your chat with Stuart told you about the wider divisions within the United States? Well, I mean, it says everything, really. It's remarkable that the Lincoln Project even exists. I mean, there are formerly diehard Republicans who at some point thought, enough's enough. We've had enough of Trump. And they're not the only anti-Trump conservative group either. I think that's kind of really important to uh, make that point. There are Republican voters against Trump. There's repair which stands for Republican Political Alliance for Integrity and Reform, not to mention all the unaffiliated never-Trump Republicans that uh, you know, use the hashtag on social media. So I think that pretty much says all you need to know about division in the Republican Party. And Stuart didn't seem to think so, but do you think we'll ever see a moderate Republican Party again? Well, I mean, you know, never say never. I mean, but, but, but I think that if Trump loses this election, then the GOP is going to be out in the wilderness for some time because they're going to keep having Trumpism thrown at them. Like, this is what you did to yourself. You've got to look at the number of Republicans who have just fallen in line behind him. So it's going to be very difficult to sort of fall out of line if, um, if he loses. Finally, the divisions that Stuart was talking about, how do you think they will impact the election? Well, I mean, look, look if, it, if it means less votes for Trump, if all these conservatives and former conservatives who ditched Trump after 2016 are now voting for Biden, then the impact could be big. OK, Alex, I think that's enough for now. Earn your money. Give us some credits. Let's give, let's give you some credits. Battleground is presented by me, Alex Hannaford, and the producer and sound engineer is Peter Sale. Our theme music is Three Girls by Hidden Twin. Thanks again to Stuart Stevens for his time and his book, It Was All A Lie, is out now from all your usual retailers. I also wanted to add my thanks to Ema Duffy and Donna Roche for their help with the recordings on several of these episodes. Battleground is a DMT media production for Audioboom. <laughs>